welcome to Cannabis Data Science. As I was saying, we're going to be advancing cannabis science in a major way today. So this is something that has been in my brain now for, let's say, six, six, seven years. I've been kind of formalizing, okay, how do you mathematically model cannabis preferences? And it's something that I chewed on for a while, maybe put in the back burner. Um, you know, I like to have multiple pies in the oven. And now this has come up again. People are interested in effects, what drives consumers. Um, you know, consumers want to better understand themselves. You know, regulators want to understand what is this all about. So this is sort of of utmost interest. And I'll try to provide you with some new material today because I know we've been looking at the date, the same data set a lot, but I'll show you today where we may have made some missteps in the past, how we can correct ourselves in the future and keep making the world a better place. Anywho, for those of you who are new, my name's Keegan, started Canlytics, just doing cannabis analytics here in the cannabis space, helping out everyone and everyone we can. So each and everyone we can. So Rishi, how about you? What brings you to the group? Any questions you would like to answer with data science? Um, nothing really. I'm, I, I was just curious, you know, the, the whole topic in itself uh, sounded very interesting, data science and cannabis. I'm not a user. Uh, I'm not a provider. I'm just here to, you know, sort of understand uh, the transformations in the world. So it's just a learning experience for me. Well, spot on, Rishi. We attract a lot of good data scientists like yourself. So it's fantastic to have you part of the team. As you'll see today, we have a novel take on things. Sometimes we use tools differently or use different tools than other people. But... I think you'll be interested in the work we're doing today and you'll probably even maybe even be able to help contribute. Um, it's sort of all hands on deck moment. I'll I show sure look forward. I'll show you today where you can contribute because as I said, um, it's actually just become so abundantly clear how much value we're generating that um, I think we're kind of attracting people's attention. Um, AKA you may be able to get compensated for your efforts here. So <laughs> anywho, um, Charles, I was speaking with you about training data and that will actually come up today. So what's on your mind? I know you've been doing some good forays, so you're welcome to summarize some of your research or share anything on your mind. So I've been working with this strain data and, um, you know, I tried to show like using your, you know, you compress the data by sort of averaging things out. And, um, you know, I showed like what you could, how you could keep improving on the model, like taking a, a dummy classifier and, you know, which just, uh, just predicts like the, the distribution of, you know, of the, of the training data. Um, and then, you know, and how you could advance that. And then I also have another model that I'm working on 
which you doesn't doesn't use the compressed data it uses the uncompressed data and um that actually gets much better results um and i'm you know and so i'll i will publish that within the next day or two um and i'm just sort of starting out you know the most simple binary classifier and trying to move up and see how far you can go with the data the data is actually it's a very limited data set so there's not a lot there for a model to learn um and so yeah i mean this is kind of more this is more what a data scientist would do and i think like people who come here to learn data science these are the kind of skills that they need to learn to understand um because it is a tough job market you know everybody talks about how many jobs there are but it's a really difficult market to break into and these are the skills people are looking for and this is kind of what's expected of it of a typical data scientist so uh, i'm trying to demonstrate that and trying to help out uh give people better techniques as to how to analyze data and how to make predictions charles what kind of model are you trying to build i'm trying to just determine the you know um if it's in indica or, or sativa and it's just a binary classifier mm -hmm. right and so right because i want to do you know if, if you can't get a model to, to predict the most simple thing then you know, doing something more complicated like trying to predict the effects, you know, is going to be isn't going to happen, right? You have to have enough data to be able to learn something simple, mm -hmm. and so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build up. Uh, I'd like you to and I the, could have a, a talk. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, uh, I'm just wondering if you're considering hybrid as well. Is that um, part of your calculation? No, one of the things John had mentioned is that it's really hard to predict if it's hybrid or not. Yeah. So um, he's the, you know, he's the is expert. legal or not? Well, maybe. Yeah. In, in so many um, but anyway, a binary classifier is, is easier to do than, you know, to, to learn three right. things. So if I can get a binary classifier that does really well, I could try predicting hybrid, but I'm kind of... Well, I don't even know, know what hybrid means. I mean, it, it seems to be like a scale that can be infinite and where do you draw the line yeah um so that's kind of why i went with this binary classifier okay. you know again you start with the simplest thing and work your way up you don't start at the hardest part and work your way down right you, you just mm -hmm. you start at the most the most basic type of model and work your way up that's very rational i wish i could learn to do that <laughs> So I, I have some slides to show that are relevant to this. I'm wondering if this is a good opportunity. Um, well, actually, sure. Why don't you, why don't you pull up your slides? I'll just quick, quickly let everyone just say, hey, real quick in the next two minutes. Then you can present your slides while we're on this topic. Um, but just a, just. So you, you're welcome to pull those up, John. All right, so, I'll see what I can do here. Amos, anything you, you want to say on this topic along the the skills you need to be a top-tier data scientist here in the cannabis space? Candice, anything on your mind about how we can hone our skills? 
Um, not really, not at this time. Uh, but uh, you know, that's the thing too. You know, the uh, garbage in, garbage out, right? So it is good to start out with good quantified data. Spot on. And also, welcome to the group, Arthur Gill. Uh, please pr correct my pronunciation. Um, but welcome to the group. We're about to be talking all about, you know, cannabis classification and effects different people may have experienced. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, data science models. So John's going to show you a model. Charles may talk about a model he's using. And then if we've got time, I may spend 15 minutes at the end and show you yet another model. So it's real cool, right? Because, and you're all welcome to share any of your work here as well, because basically we're just bringing the greatest minds together here in the cannabis space. And we're all just sharing tools, methods, our latest, greatest research. And it's real fun. So anywho. Yeah, John, can you turn off the, uh, that hide stuff sharing hide for you? Oh, yes. Well, feel free to speak up or tug kill and then otherwise john you're welcome to to present your your latest research here so i'm going to go pretty fast and charles i really look forward to maybe having a discussion offline so that maybe we can kind of put our heads together and refine some of this there are two top level classifications that uh, certainly, I think the field has established, and our group is certainly interested in. The first one is at the at the cannabinoid level, and historically, cannabis has been divided into groups. In fact, historically, the sativa indica distinction lasted for about two centuries in the taxonomists in the uh, 1800s. I guess 17 and 1800s, as this plant was being described. And it referred to the cannabinoid type, CBD or THC. Of course, they didn't know it. It was medicinal or fiber type. And the sativa designation was given to the fiber, the, the hemp type. And the indica designation was given to the uh, intoxicating or THC type. And that lasted for about two centuries. Um, what was discovered in the in our in the 20 in um 1973 uh was the first time that type one two and three cannabis was applied rather than the sativa and indica and jerry i know you asked the other week about what is type one two and three so i wanted to just say this is an easy way to visualize what it is you take the CBD concentration on the x-axis and you plot it as a log, sorry, on the y-axis, and you plot it as a log, and you plot the THC uh, concentration on the x-axis for a given cultivar, again on the log, and you get these three really nice groupings. And you can uh, make assessments about what the ranges of these are. You can throw darts into the middle of these clusters and assign values, kind of like I did here. So we've been using this for quite a while. Um, this is, I mean, this has really stood the test of time, whether it's um, small and 
uh, Beckstead in 1973, Hillig and Marlberg in 2004, and then our own work that we started to disseminate uh, on this in 2014. So we've got these three major cannabinoid types that can be determined, uh, you know, principally from a, an analysis of these two major cannabinoids. So far, so good, because I've got just a few more slides. So this is so what is kind of gobsmacking, and I wanted to show you folks that has yeah, come out of the effect uh, data. Okay, you're going to explain it. Pardon? I was just wondering which uh, is, is high, is type 1 high CBD or high THC? You know, I'm sorry. I think I used the, um, the slide that didn't. Type 1 is high THC. Type 2 is um, roughly one-to-one -one equivalent. And type 3 is high CBD. I'm sorry I didn't put the right labels on this. The labels on the slide, I wanted these values on here. We have another slide that has that value. So again, I'll keep saying type 1 is high. Type 2 is, is roughly one-to-one -one equivalent. Type 3 is high CBD. When you go to the effects database that we've been working on, um, that uh, Keegan was able to, uh, as he says, wrangle into shape and square up with binary and all that. Uh, I've been looking at effects and pairs of effects and lexical pairings and all that. But something that comes out at a high level is if you make the contrast between folks that are responding that they have a creative, that that, that they feel creative after inhaling uh, cannabis compared to those that uh, report focus after inhaling cannabis. Uh, there's a pretty clear reciprocal or inverse correlation um, that I think is worth noting of the community. So uh, high THC cannabis is biasing you towards uh, a probability of having a more creative uh, response and uh, compared to focus, whereas as you drop down in THC content from high to medium to uh, virtually low or absent, um, you're losing creativity and you're gaining focus. Um, this is probably one of the clearest uh, demonstrations of this that I've seen. And it comes out of the large um, data set that uh, we've been working with. Any questions, or I'm going to go on quickly to one other concept. You're welcome to go on. I'm just tinkering to to be prepared, but so so far so good. Okay. The other distinction um, now is is below the cannabinoid level. It's when we're trying to understand what other components are in this plant that may be effect uh, may be causing different effects. And here we've zeroed in for a good number of years, as have the other workers in the field, on terpene content. And you've heard me talk about this, this binary that we apply, which is the beta-pinene-limonene ratio type. But what I wanted to show is what underlies that beta-pinene-limonene ratio type is really the dominance of three principal monoterpenes. And in fact, um, I believe the best way to deal with cannabis um, in terms of classifying it below the cannabinoid level is to deal with the three principal monoterpenes that are the main 
drivers of the terpene or, or the main products of the various terpene synthases. And so Charles, while you're building a model, I would encourage you to be aware of the biochemistry because that's what's driving it. It's a combination of data science and biochemistry that allows you to bring this forward. Anyway, three principal terpenes, uh, terpene classes or clusters, uh, and we can talk more about this at another time, are alpha-pinene, limonene, and terpinolene. And so what I'm doing here is presenting it as a scatter plot matrix. It's easier to see than three major um, three major axes in 3D space. I, mean, I tinker with that, but this is easier. So um, what, what I've compared is the data set that we've been working with, and I'm calling it Michigan because I believe, Keegan, it's primarily from a lab in Michigan or Michigan samples. And in total, it's 431 records as far as I can tell. And I'm contrasting that with a California data set that's similar that has 376 entries that I've been working with for a couple of years. And what's really notable that stands out is that there's a whole set of cultivars in the California set that fall into this yellow triangle that are, if you will, they have um, a high limonene, high terpinolene content that is absent from uh, most other strains and most, and in fact, is absent from the Michigan data set. I think what we might have here is a set of cultivars that are kind of unique to the California community. And these have names, including one, in fact, that I've grown called Durban Kush, which is a cross between a high terpinolene Durban poison and a high limonene Kush type plant. So. I believe we're on the right track. And if you look at the relationship here, you start to see that this kind of wants to be a regression or correlated here. And my suspicion is that you have high terpinolene plants that mutate the enzyme and then they start making high limonene off that same enzyme at the same time that they're making terpinolene because it's promiscuous. And I leave you with the concept that we're trying to bring forward that for the cannabis using community, the best alternative is to create flights, flights that represent the four cardinal points, if you will, of the cannabis. And we've had various ways of approaching that in the past, but I'm simply saying that what we have here is a high alpha pinene, a high limonene, a high terpinolene, and then this kind of missing high terpinolene high limonene group that gives us four, four cardinal points or four types that we can um, utilize to make flights and then therefore de uh, determine canonical effects based on this. I'll stop there. That's my, uh, that's what I had to say. Well, I love it. So thorough and it seems like essentially we're getting uh, some headway here into the effects of cannabis, right? Um, uh, and I even heard a good scientist talk about this in that, you know, people may even be using cannabis almost to 
experimentally, you know, toggle dials in their brains, mm -hmm. right? They're, you know, trying out new compounds and seeing how those turn dials. Um, so it's uh, important to understand what dials you're going to be turning. So I think this is, is critical um, and, and it may help people adopt cannabis, right? Um, one of the things that can turn people off cannabis is if they get unintended effects. Um, they get sleepy and they don't want to. Uh, they get energetic and they want to be sleepy. They get paranoid, uh, so on and so forth. So I think it's brilliant work, uh, just uh, helpful for everybody. And so unless anyone else has some more thoughts to share about this, um, I fi finally kind of uh, fixed one line of code real quick. Um, so I'm ready to share with you yet another cool model you can use unless Charles or does anyone else have anything to to piggyback on on John's effects works here now now go ahead with your presentation okay so I think this is kind of a, a continuation of something John had mentioned last week so just kind of wanted to to follow through on that. And I didn't really know where, where I was going with this um, until sort of, you know, last night, um, something just kind of clicked. So my apologies um, if it's kind of, everything's kind of thrown together real quick. Um, but it, as I said, it, it kind of came together pretty well. And I, John even bought me enough time to fix one line of code. So we should actually even be able to estimate this model right now. So what, you know, I would, it wouldn't be, uh, you know, a data science meetup if I didn't mention this, you know, this artificial intelligence that um, has been in the news, Lambda. Um, so basically there's a, an, an interview that you may want to check out between uh, now a former Google engineer and, uh, in, in, you know, uh, an artificial intelligence slash algorithm. And a quote from this was, you know, I'm really good at natural language processing. I can understand and use natural language like a human can. And it just kind of made me think that one of the parts of data that I often shy away from is natural language. So any field that is just a user entered value is often a mess. So we've seen this before with strain names, um, with the, the Washington State traceability data, how there was real messy data. But then the more I started to think about this, we can often turn seemingly disadvantages into our advantage. Um, so basically, you know, this data appears daunting. So maybe not many people look at it. Um, so that started to make me think that there may be data hiding in plain sight. Second thing is, right, AIs, algorithms can do work for extremely extremely low costs, right? Uh, you know, their marginal cost is near zero, where if you were going to hire a human to do natural language 
processing. So basically look at human written text and parse the meaning out of it. You know, you're going to be paying them a pretty high wage. They're going to only be so effective. It's going to be really time consuming. So I realized, you know, now that we actually have, you know, tools like our friend here, Lambda, then, or tools that Lambda has that will help us out, then we may be able to do extraordinary things because we can now, you know, parse human text um, at, you know, such a fast rate. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll quit going on about that, but, uh, and I'll show you how this can be, this can be used. So pardon the equations, but just wanted to show you two concepts real quick from economics that we'll use quite well today. Um, and then these will be in your lexicon and basically if you were going to boil down the useful tools out of microeconomics you know this would basically be what you what you're left with uh, um, I mean maybe a, a bit more but but basically we talked about expected utility before this was an idea that Johnny von Neumann introduced I do believe um, and so it's basically saying you have to take into consideration all the different states of reality so you know if you're in the desert state one you know your utility from water is going to be really high versus if you're in the city state two then your utility from water is going to be really low so you know your expected utility is the probability that you're going to be in the desert times your utility of water in the desert time plus the probability that you're going to be in the city times the utility of water when you're in the city. So that's sort of a basic example, but this is a really powerful idea. And the way this is going to tie in today is we're essentially talking about utility from cannabis. So you can think about C as cannabis or specifically all the compounds in cannabis. And so you'll get utility from cannabis and the utility you get will depend on the state. So I may consume certain compounds and if I am in state one energetic, I may get a certain amount of utility, but maybe I consume the same compounds and I get state two sleepy. My utility may be quite different. So basically, my expected utility from consuming cannabis would be the probability that it's going to make me sleepy times the utility I get when I'm sleepy, plus the probability I get when I'm not sleepy times the utility I get from those compounds when I'm not sleepy. So this can just kind of be extended essentially in depth, you know, we can kind of, you know, go to the limit, right? In infinite number of states, right? You could be happy and focused. You could be happy, focused, and, you know, and energetic. You could be creative and sleepy. So, you know, get your cre creative done before you fall asleep. Um, 
So long story short is this model gives us a lot of flexibility over states. Okay, cool. Well, now we can actually put a functional form on these specific utility functions and a convenient utility function that satisfies all, all of the assumptions from microeconomics. So that's what's cool about the Cobb-Douglas utility function is it checks all the checkboxes that we want in a utility function. So mainly that you get diminishing marginal returns. So the more cannabis you consume, it's going to have less, you know, less and less of a beneficial effect. Cool. Economists don't usually measure utility but I'm not your typical economist. And the more I kind of thought about this, uh, the more happy I am with it in that this would definitely be something that, um, you know, what any number of my former economics professors would not, uh, would have probably frowned upon, but they also frowned upon other uh, essentially predictions I made that, uh, you know, turned out to be quite interesting. So for example, you know, way back in like 2009, I was talking about, uh, this, this little company called, uh, this little company called SpaceX. Um, and my economics professor poo-pooed, uh, Pooed that idea and that company, and now, you know, you know, look at look at SpaceX today, um, a decade later, um, and you know, all the the top engineers in the country are vying for positions at SpaceX. Um, so, so long story short, your your classical economist would poo poo the idea of measuring utility. But just kind of for fun today, we'll essentially be doing exactly that. So we've got our functional form today for our utility function. And coincidentally, it turns out nicely for our linear regression. So here we just have a linear equation, alpha log x. Um, and I won't go too much more into this but if you are interested in the statistics come to saturday morning statistics or sign up and i'll send you all the material i um, mean we'll actually for example last week we talked about the importance of log normalizing your variables and now we actually have a theoretical reason why we should take the log of our variables so it works out well statistically and it matches our theory awesome so let's tie it into machine learning. So in natural language processing. So long story short is we've got these reviews and I'll get to the data here momentarily. Um, uh, and then quit droning on, but we've got our reviews and what we can do is we can basically let the algorithm determine 
how positive or negative the review is, right? So, you know, and so that's basically what I'm basically letting that be the interpretation of utility, of happiness. And so it's kind of getting a little abstract, but kind of going back to, you know, Lambda, you know, we can process natural language like a human can. And so the idea behind sentiment analysis is given a review, if you sat a person down and said, okay, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how happy is the reviewer? And you'd know you'd re you'd re read their review, and you know you'd kind of make a you know kind of a subjective interpretation of what you think this person's happiness may be. Um, and you know humans are really good at this type of thing, right? Like um, we're really good at reading. You know, well, I mean this is more emotional cues, but you know we're really good at picking up cues from each other so it's like oh like they use this word you know they're maybe being sarcastic or you know they are using a lot of negative words you know they're maybe not in a good mood or oh they're using a lot of positive words they're probably in a good mood and so we kind of pick up these things passively well you know if this algorithm really is is as good as a human which you know it may not be but maybe it's uh, cost effective, then maybe this algorithm can determine how happy somebody is from their review. So instead of paying someone, you know, 30 bucks an hour to sit down and rank the reviews, we'll have the algorithm do it at virtually no cost, pennies on the dollar. Um, and then we can get a, you know, a measure of you. Um, and then just a couple statistical concepts, um, just to not go too much into the math. The way that we could actually, so we can estimate our Cobb-Douglas utility function just by having u on one side, and then essentially our, our results, our lab results on the other side. And then we could actually then estimate an expected utility function by having an interaction between the dummy variable zero or one for a particular effect interacted with these compounds. So basically this alpha log X would just be your, you know, your baseline utility in state one. And then if you got sleepy, then your utility would then be, you know, adjusted. Um, and then you'd have, you know, your utility in, in state two. So you could actually estimate, you know, your entire expected utility function. Um, and then I know I'm kind of getting into the weeds, so I'll get to the data real quick. But then I, there's an idea of ex ante before and ex post after utility. So, you know, after you consume the cannabis, you'll have an actual utility that is, you know, actual depending on the actual effects you had. But 
before you consume the cannabis, you'll only have expectations of the probability that you'll get sleepy. So long story short is instead of plugging in zero or one for D, we could plug in the expected probability of being sleepy, say 0.2, and then that would give us our expected utility. So long story short is um, we can now get expected utility you know, given uh, given these reviews and lab results, uh, yeah. So, so yeah. So, so now we, so now, you, right? You've got a baseline expectation for the probability. So, all you have to do is get lab results, and now you have an expected utility for a given product. So, sorry, I'm getting way into the weeds. Now is the the actual algorithm. So this is the algorithm that we're about to code up. So step one, given all the reviews, we'll rank them minus one to one. This is going to be our proxy for utility. Step two, we estimate a regression of utility on lab results interacted with the effects. We can do that. Step three, you now have a utility function. And so you can now put it to good use. And so, for example, basically, I was reading on semantic or uh, sentiment analysis, and they said a classic tool for this is recommendation engines. And so the idea is. Okay, well, cool. So now you go to the store, you have a list of products, you plug all those products into your expected utility function, you use, you know, the, say, the skunk effects model, so that way you'd have a nice predicted effect, a predicted probability for all the effects. And so now you can get an expected utility for all of the products um, and you know you you let your app do all this heavy lifting but basically you know you go into the store you've got your app your app knows all the products in the store pop up 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 and it just puts the product that would give you the highest expected utility at the top um, and then uh, and then and then rank those by highest utility uh, downwards uh, uh, quick question maybe i don't understand uh exactly how this is working but i thought when you use dummy variables they were boolean so it's either one or zero yes so essentially this is saying that if you're sleepy your utility is going to be different from the cannabinoids than when you're not sleepy. Does that make sense? Uh, so if we had like 15 different effects that we were tracking, uh, each one would have a uh, either a one or a zero? Exactly. So, okay. basic, so basically what you're saying is there'd be 15 states of reality. 
Um, so it's basically like you could either like there's like 15 states, right? You could be in a state where you're happy. You may be in a state where you're focused. You could potentially get complex with this and say, you know, a state where you're focused and happy is different than a state where you're just happy. Yeah, I would imagine that if you had 15 different columns, each one being an effect, each column, each each row of data having a one or a zero in it, you could have more than one one in, in you know in each row. Exactly. And so I would it's good it's gonna add a lot of complexity to your model, but technically the way I would do this is I would call those different states. Um so I would basically every single combination is a is a different state and so you're going to end up with a lot of parameters really really quickly if you start to add a lot of different effects but that's okay because we can let our remember you know remember degrees of freedom out of statistics right we just need you know a lot more observations than we have degrees of freedom so if we don't have very many observations we're going to chew up our degrees of freedom really really quickly by adding effects but the idea is these companies have thousands of reviews so once you get you know thousands of reviews you can put thousands of parameters in your model so here i'll get out of abstract land and actually estimate this for you um just to kind of grounded in reality but i'm just going to do it with one effect today sleepy but the idea is it's perfectly generalizable so that way right algorithms and coding is powerful so it would be not that much work to generalize this to i mean it would be some work uh, but you know you could generalize this to s number of effects and then as long as you have enough data then you can just kind of estimate a you know a really really robust model for expected utility um, and is skunk effects going to be how these uh how this data is generated is that what you're thinking uh, i was thinking about using skunk effects essentially so basically what skunk effects predicts is p um so you're you'll need some way to estimate p and uh, because you don't actually know the true p so th there's different ways you can do this so you could just do the the basically the average so what's the the like the mean occurrence of sleepy um, but but the idea is skunk effects is a conditional mean. So skunk effects would be a mean that's conditional on X. So this would be P of X. So your probability of your state depends on the lab results, which is a pretty reasonable assumption. So the way that you can incorporate skunk effects into this is you would just say this is P of X. And so you estimate P of X with skunk effects, and then you estimate your Cobb-Douglas utility function, which is just an ordinary least squares regression. 
And then you'd basically yeah combine the two models. And then, as I said, it's going to be complex. But I mean, you're estimating utility. Um, I mean, this is somebody's hap like this is an abstract measure of happiness. Like how, like you know, happy quote unquote is somebody from this cannabis. Um, so this is a really really complex function. So it's not unreasonable for it to kind of take this complex form, right? And that's why I'm, I'm just concerned about where you're going to get all the observations from. Oh, I'll show you. I'll show you right now. Um, so long story short, but I'll I'll just leave this. Um, but my last comment was, right? We're writing a complex algorithm that's doing the work of a human brain. You know, the human brain is powerful. So, you know, the human brain sees a list of products and boom, just like just like that, you the human brain estimates P, your the human brain estimates utility in all those different states, and then estimates an expected utility from all those products. And so that's why, you know, you may look at a menu for a little while because your brain is kind of churning, but essentially the idea is, you know, this is the, the, the idea behind the theory is this is kind of what's going on in your brain. So if we can replicate the same process that your brain's using and let the, the computer do all the heavy lifting, you know, you can save your brain power to do more interesting things. Uh, that then pick which which uh, which product at the store uh, is going to to be the best for you. Um, you can spend your time doing mathematics and statistics and fun things <laughs> like that. You can attend Saturday morning statistics. So what did you get? <clears throat> so what do we get? Well, here we are. So we've got our reviews. And just to go ahead and do everything that Charles would, would, whoops, I should have showed you this uh, beforehand. Um, okay, so I accidentally uh, already deleted them, but uh, Charles pointed, or someone had pointed, or maybe John, you had pointed out there were a lot of duplicates. And so I actually added uh, two. I added a user column, so I went through and parsed the data again, and got all the users, and all the, and then I was looking at these two columns, and there were just multiple times where the same user had left the same review. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry that I just now caught this, but there's a almost twenty thousand duplicates. Yep. So um, my apologies that I caught them so late. Our statistics up until now are biased, so it would be worthwhile to go back and recalculate those. But the Python philosophy is now is better than never, so we at least identified this now. And so the point being is, uh, by the end of today, by the end of this script, our data is going to be really, really robust, um, or at least. Uh, it's more robust than it was. Um, and as I said, 
and I'll get through this in the next five minutes. Uh, but basically, please forgive the shortcomings in the data and just let this be an educational example for you. These same statistics, this same model can be used with any review data. So I highly encourage you to use your own reviews that specifically match up to specific products. And that data is pure gold. I'm just, just kind of using this dummy data for educational purposes. Can you screen um, for bots? Say that one more time. Can you screen for bots who are, you know, artificially non-human reviews? Brilliant question slash observation, Jerry. So, yes. So now let's look at this data. So, okay. So now how many unique users are there? Like, are they uh, just all the same person? Um, so what we find is there's fewer users than there are reviews, which is actually awesome because this means the same user is leaving multiple reviews. Um, so, sorry, was there a question? And um, so, what if the same user is leaving reviews for different different strains? That is exactly what I think we want. So, for example, um, so here, here, this is a bit more logical. So, here, I would just like, okay, let's count the reviews by by user. Um, and so you see, um, okay, anonymous is leaving the most reviews. So I actually end up excluding those uh, because I've heard people kind of bash on anonymous reviews. Um, so we, you know, we may or may not want to use them. Um, but long story short is most people are leaving one review and that's it so you know more than 75 percent of people are just leaving one review and calling it a day but here i just picked this person out just because they had washington in their in their name but uh you know if you see the strains that this person's reviewing it actually gets real interesting because check this out. So they, this person reviewed 24 karat gold, cookies, kush. They reviewed DJ short blueberry three times. So these are, you know, three different reviews. So, you know, one may think that, you know, maybe they, you know, got this product three times, um, but they're just a, you know, a pretty avid, uh, pretty avid reviewer. Um, here, let's see if we can't look at uh, one more here. Um, and, th and then I'll get to the statistics um, since, since we're running low on time here. But this introduces a couple things. One, it does introduce a potential source of bias, right? If uh, one user is leaving a disproportionate number of reviews, then that could bias things towards that one reviewer's 
preferences, right? Like, so for example, you know, Chill Panda has left all these reviews. You know, we may just be like really, really good at predicting Chill Panda's effects. And so that's actually okay because that's what statistics is for in that statistics is all about uncertainty and you know how do we actually use this variability to our advantage and i think this is actually awesome because now um uh yeah now we can actually condition effects on the user and so john you brought this up real briefly at the end of the last meetup and i'm not sure if i it fully sunk home with me but basically until until later but basically different people may have different effects um different people may gravitate towards different strains um so for example um, just want to go ahead and show you this data real quick. So basically, just I'm excluding anonymous. I'm keeping only the observations with these compounds of interest that were detected. And we're left with, you know, a training sample of still around 4,000. So, you know, we started with, what, uh, 42,000 reviews but then you know i had we had to remove duplicates you know we had to remove things with non-detects so there's a lot of noise in the data but once we remove all the extraneous noise and take a random sample we're we're we've got a good training set you know we've got you know four thousand nice random samples here um and i think we can do some good work with this training set this this sample keegan so, this is heavily skewed to the low to the indica group to the low beta pinene limonene group and this is um actually i love your take on this because i wasn't sure what to make of this plot yeah this looks pretty skewed to me so what i did here was i averaged all the the lab results by user so this is basically a user's profile. So this is sort of the average beta pinene to D-lemonene that a consumer chooses. So, you know, they may choose samples all over the board, but, you know, on average, you know, somebody over here, you know, they may have a predilection towards indica type strains. Um, and so each of these dots corresponds to a specific user. There's no mapping between the user and the lab results, right? There's a mapping between the strain and the and the lab results, but there are different lab results. You get different. There there are several lab results for each strain, and so you know if you average if you just average that down, then you're sort of compressing the data um you're a hundred percent correct and so basically 
I'm using the average lab results as a proxy for the actual lab results of this person's product. So that's why I was saying, if you actually have the lab results of the product the person consumed, that is the match you want. So I'm just kind of playing pretend that we have that match. Um, so you see, you know, we're kind of taking a leap of faith. It's, you know, I, it's not perfect, but it's, I don't want to say I see other economists do this, but it's basically the variant of interest is the compounds in the cannabis strain that someone consumed and reviewed. That's missing. So we have to estimate that. And so we're estimating it with the average lab results. So it's way, way far from perfect. But the idea is, um, uh, da, 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 you know, uh, the idea is, oh, if you look at, you know, the strains that Green Green Washington's picking, you know, are these, you know, Exodus cheese, Marion Berry Kush, you know, on average, are these more, you know, this high beta pinene to D lemonine type slash, you know, sativa, or are they, you know, on average, you know, more indica type? So I think you're. By yeah, by compressing this, you're you're losing a lot of information, and you're and you're repeating the same information over and over again. There's so uh, there's four thousand some odd reviews, and there's like a, a around a hundred. After you compress the data and remove all the duplicates, there's maybe like there's there's maybe like a hundred data or yeah, a hundred different strains. One hundred eighty four. Three. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. Charles, can I, can we yeah. make a date to look offline? Because I want to show you, I think that that 183 set is extremely well behaved. I, mean, I can try and convince you of that um, through principal component analysis and, and loading plots that we've done. Um, so I, I I am of the opinion that that 183 mean data set has value. So, okay, yeah, I'd like to see. I, yeah, I'd like to I, see. I, it. I need to walk you through the principal component analysis uh, results, and let's make a date for that. I'll see if I can convince you because um, there's a lot of story in it that I can describe to you. Okay, that would be great. I I really like I would really like that. Yeah, again, just, you know, I, I'm, I come at this from the biochemistry. So just to, so basically, you're 100% right, Charles, but basically, I don't want to let this stop us from fitting this model, because the model can be used by any single company that's got reviews and lab results, and thousands of company or maybe not thousands but all the big apps have reviews and lab results one-to-one -one matches so you know we don't have that data but we can make this model and then 
Weed Maps, Leafly, any of these big companies could use this algorithm. And I argue just because we're missing the data, it's still a pretty good proxy. Because basically what I'm saying here is this person, they sampled, you know, DJ short blueberry, you know, three times. Uh, what, you know, one, one of the three times it made them sleepy. And so it would be nice to know, you know, the total THC of each DJ blueberry, DJ short blueberry, they sampled. But we've even heard all this noise. I mean, go talk to any cultivator and they'll, not any, but most cultivators will just complain to you all day long about how their lab results aren't representative of their product. And they they say and they say that's a problem because they say oh we send in one sample and we get one lab result back and then that's what goes on the label. So one could even make the argument that the average is even a better metric than what's on the label. Um, I don't think I would go that far, um, but but the long story short is we're basically saying, you know. This strain has, on average, 19.5% THC. It may, you know, make you sleepy, you know, a, a third of the time. You know, we'll have to kind of let the the data pan that out. Um, and then it, it kind of, you know, goes on for, uh, with the other variables. So the fact that, you know, the, the lab results repeat is okay as long as, you don't have, you know, perfect collinearity. So as long as, you know, people are experiencing different effects. Um, I'm just wondering if, if it would help if instead of doing natural language processing, when we gather the data, uh, we use like drop-down menus, like radio bullets, you know, what, what effect did you experience from this it, I, product? Jerry, that's exactly what we're doing in our dosing project work. Okay. It will solve a lot of this because it will be a given user matched to a given strain with a given COA and a given effect. So what we're doing now is kind of modeling off of what Keegan is presenting, but we're going to have access, uh, God willing, to a much better data set. That's precisely the approach we're taking. I, I think I may have ruffled a few feathers, but but that's good because no, you're, as you're I was just saying, leading the way. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just it's a lot of we're, lot of twists and turns. Yeah. Well, and like I said, we're estimating a, a utility function here, so it's not just a you know a trivial thing to do. But but here, I'll let you get out of here. But real real quick, I'll just show you how the model would go about working, you know, if this was something that, that you so desired. So, so long story short is, you know, you'd basically, you know, you, you get someone's, you get someone's review here. So you know, I biked to a dispensary, picked up a lot of weed, da, 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 da. 
And so you'd normally have to pay somebody to read through this and figure out how happy somebody was from this. But we can basically just let this natural language toolkit basically give us a, you know, a ranking from minus one to one on how positive somebody somebody's experience was. So, you know, this person it looks like had, you know, quite a, you know, quite a uh, quite a positive experience. And, you know, uh, you know, this person, um, you know, may have had, you know, less of a positive experience. So I think this this part itself could probably be tailored in. Like I said, I'm just kind of picking up this tool and running with it. But the idea is you could basically, you know, rank all of these reviews, you know, from minus one to... So that way we can put it in a continuous space and we're not having to deal with, you know, zeros and ones. We have a nice, you know, continuum, you know, instead of just saying, oh, I was happy or I was sleepy, you know, we actually can kind of get an idea of how happy you were. Um, and notice it it's heavily biased towards positive effects. and. So this is kind of something I talked about where, you know, if you're going to be leaving a review, it's probably because you had a positive experience or, or maybe you had a really negative experience. But, but chances are, like, if you're going to Leafly and leaving a review, you probably, you know, are, are positive, have a positive opinion on this. So long story short, make of it what you will. But you can then, you know, regress this ranking on the log of all these compounds. So, and I know the data is not perfect, but if you had your own data, you know, your, your R squared may be much, much, much higher than our meager, measly R squared. So, yes, our data is... As, as Charles put it, uh, kind of, you know, compiled from hell. Uh, um, well, like, Charles didn't say it like that, but I said it like that. Um, that that's my training as an economist, so judge me how you will. Um, but long story short is, make of it what you will, but the way I interpret this is, Okay, you know, someone may have a baseline happiness of around 0.45 on the minus one to one scale. And then what this would basically say would be, you know, for each, you know, 1% increase in total THC, you would move, you know, 0 0.06 uh, distance towards one. So the idea is, you know, an increase of total THC would increase your utility. Um, I'm not even going to read into the statistical significance of this. It looks like CBD may, but once again, the coefficient is really small. So, you know, CBD may increase your happiness. 
And then, but basically kind of what uh, I'm seeing is, once again, the coefficients on these are really low, but, you know, it could, it could be that, you know, de increasing your D-lemonine, beta-caryophylline, and humulene may actually, you know, decrease people's, you know, positive, you know, review. Um, and then real, real, just real, real quick, uh, you know, you, this is the, the expected utility function, uh, just to, uh, just kind of estimate everything. Um, but kind of, kind of, once again, you're seeing the same thing. Um, but then in this case, you know, you're generally, you know, if, if somebody does get sleepy, they may get slightly less utility from these compounds. Um, hey, Keegan. Yes. Really critical point that we deal with in our own discussions on this is if you pick sleepy as your one of your indicators, there's a large group of people that use cannabis to go to sleep. And so that is a desired outcome. You have to really query for indication for what the intent was. And I think you have to build that into the model a priori that I didn't hear you really, um, I, I don't think that's quite there yet, or maybe I missed it, but I think you need to put, you have to query and put the intent by respondent into this model. And you hit the nail on the head, John. So thank you for bringing this up is this is the exact extension of the model that's needed. Yes. So if you're interested, sign up for Saturday morning statistics, because that's when we'll be doing it. But basically, it's a fairly trivial extension of this model to basically let the parameters alpha vary by you 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 could let them vary in a couple different ways but potentially we could just let them vary by individual mm -hmm. um you could you do like types of individual but if we've got enough data we could basically let the parameters vary by I want to say we could, I don't know if we're going to have enough data. We may have to, I was thinking that what you can do is basically you could restrict your sample to the people that leave a lot of reviews and then let the parameters vary by user. And then you could basically get, you know, user specific effects. Um, and so then, and then you'd be exactly right. And so then, you know, some users may get a really good effect from THC and then some wouldn't. Some users may get a really good effect from CBD and others wouldn't. And then, you know, that, and then it could handle all the different states. So then you could let it, you know, some users really like the sleepy effect, some not like the sleepy effect. And so I think it kind of captures everything, right? Because it's basically saying it ties it nicely in with economic theory. You've got consumers trying to maximize their utility from cannabis. How do they do that? Well, it's actually from the compounds in the cannabis and it's conditional interacting with the effects that they experience. Um, so, and it varies person by person 
at a biochemistry level. So which I is think a parameter that also the 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 the, the, the response group type I think is a is a is a different parameter from the intent parameter. I think you need two of them at least. Basically, alpha is going to get alpha one i. Um, okay. Okay. So, so, so as I said, tune into to Saturday morning if you re you really want like the, the the hardcore statistics on this. But essentially, as I said, I I just kind of thought of this uh, last night. So this no, still no, needs no. this yeah. still needs a lot of polishing. But the idea is, mm -hmm. I mean, if you can estimate expected utility from a cannabis product, of course, the model is going to need a lot more refinement and you can be creative. And that's why I always say this is your chance to be creative in X is, you know, think about all the, the different variants that matter, all the different biochemistries that matter, um, all the different states of nature that matter. So you can be creative in X, but the idea is this is a fairly general model. And as I said, it, this could help anyone who's got a recommendation engine. It could help people thinking about what they're going to grow. And it could also just help scientists and consumers just kind of understand how does the brain work, right? Because how do people make decisions? How do compounds affect people? I think the jury's still out on a lot of this. And I think this model really is a big step in the right direction. So, so thank you all for, you, for your tough criticism or your tough remarks because no, mo no model's perfect. This model is far from perfect. The data is way far from perfect. So there's a lot of improvement all across the board that needs to be done that's why i call upon you to help contribute because i think we're onto something big here it's just as you know charles and john and everyone have pointed out there's so many intricacies and ways that you can misstep and ways that you should be doing this correct uh, like a proper data scientist so i kind of am calling on all of you for your help because i think we could be on to essentially, you know, the best model of cannabis consumption uh, that I've seen. So if any of you want to, to help contribute, then, then message me, join the Slack channel. It's all hands on deck. But I'll leave it that with you. And my, my two, two kind of insights from this week were, you know, data is really just hiding everywhere. You just have to look for it. And then, you know, this synthetic data, you know, we've got to be a little careful with it. But personally, I think it, it can be quite useful. So I know went way, 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 way over time. But I thought this material was 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 hopefully worth your while. So any last thoughts, comments, questions before we finally let you get out of here and enjoy your day? I think defining those alphas is going to be an important exercise. Um, we certainly talk about timing. We talk about dose. We talk about content as the three main 
parameters that we're kind of focused on. And what primarily your discussion today is, is on content. And we need to be able to get to the questions of timing and dose. So, um, you know, this data set may not have it for us, but others might, or those that we generate. Exactly. Basically, we'll be able to maybe assign random effects for the users. So, as I said, it's not going to be too, too useful um, in, in interpreting, uh, like, you know, biochemistry type effects, but, uh, you know, the framework's at least in place. Um, so, like you, you know, you, or, you know, if you get that data, then you're welcome to use this framework and actually be able to make those inferences. Well, one thing I'm going to try, if you, if we can connect and I can get your user sorted data, at least the way you presented it today, I think I can query to see if we can identify the response type of the reviewer. That's something that came out of, I'm thinking, watching what you did today. And I'll give that a try um, if I can get that data, if I can get that data set. Definitely. And let's all stay in touch and keep moving the ball forward because I hope, I think that we're advancing cannabis science. So let's keep our noses to the grindstone, have fun while we're doing it and get out of here and enjoy Use the right strain. <laughs> Get the right strain, everyone. <laughs>